Well, good morning. You know, I was worried this morning about uh, 15, 20 minutes ago. I was looking around out there in the atrium, checking everything out, and there were like a lot of missing faces. And the last, like last week and again this week, we know the flu bug has been running rampant around this part of the world. And I was like, oh my goodness, half the church is sick. Y'all weren't sick, you slept in. Half the church showed up in like midway through the second song, which is better than not showing up at all. So thank you for being here. I'm glad you fought your way through the fog and the fog in your head when the alarm went off and all of that this morning. That's great. We do, as Mark alluded to in his prayer a moment ago, have several who are out sick today. We got a text this morning from Jim Martin, our worship leader. He couldn't. He got in the shower and got ready to come, got out of the shower and, and broke out in this feverish sweat. And so he crawled back in bed and the worship team again for the second week in a row, scrambled and put together a worship set like in the last 30 minutes or so before the worship service. And so when they come back up here later and we, they play our final song, I want you guys to give not only the Lord a great round of applause for what he's doing in them and through them, but these guys for standing up here and making it work, making it happen when it didn't come together the way they had planned. So, you know, it's, it's funny. Life does that to us a lot, doesn't it? When things don't go the way we planned for them to go. Things don't just happen the way that we think that they should. We're going to talk about that a little bit today and how we can respond to that, how Jesus says that we should respond to that. But before we get into the message, I have one last little piece of business that I want to take care of. If you're new with us here today, uh, you should have found one of these little cards in your seat. should have been accompanied by a nice blue ink pen, some of which do not work. If, they, if yours doesn't work, poke your neighbor, ask them for theirs. We'll find one that works. Just fill that out for us. It's not so I can telemarket you. I promise you I did that when I was in high school. I have no desire to ever, ever do it again. Uh, but I do want to be able to follow up with you and let you know what's going on in the life of Elevation Church. Uh, so a good phone number, a good email address would be very helpful. I can follow up with you, see if you have questions about the church, and also just let you know what's happening with our women's ministry, our men's ministry, our students, uh, children, missions, all of the things that are going on in the life of the church, all of the, the things that make the church the church. Uh, so we want to be sure you're included in all of that. So fill one of these out, and when the offering uh, goes by later, just drop that into the offering uh, basket, and uh, I'll get it, and I'll follow up with you this week. So if you would, take care of that little piece of business, and now we can get down to the rest of our business, getting into the Word. And we're still in our series. I say still, it's only two weeks old. This is week three. Our series called Red Ink, and it's a series about the words of Jesus, what Jesus said in his three-year ministry on earth. And I feel like if Jesus said it, it probably is kind of important. What do y'all think? I mean, if Jesus said it, it's important. And it's important enough for us to spend some time to really get into what he said and investigate how that applies to our lives. And then to not only see how it applies, but apply it. Do something with it. We started the series two weeks ago, three weeks ago now with um, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. The, the, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher to ever preach, right? The Sermon on the Mount. We talked about the Beatitudes, Jesus' opening statements to this great sermon that he sat on the mountain and, and, and preached this prepared message to his followers. There were several hundred, maybe a couple of thousand even followers at this time. It was early in his ministry, but, but he found that opportunity. And he preached this message and he talked about having a blessed life, about living blessed. He gave us eight statements of blessing. We just spent two weeks covering those eight statements of blessing. And today, we're going to cover 
two more statements. As Jesus transitioned from that opening into like the body, the meat of the message, he started off with two more statements that I find very, very curious. If you would open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, find verse 13. Matthew 5, 13, that's where we're going to be today. If you don't have your Bible with you, don't feel bad. We're going to pop the verses up on the screen. But I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, bring them with you to church. There's something about opening those pages or turning on your iPhone or smartphone and, and going to your version or whatever electronic Bible you have and actually reading those words for yourself. So here we go. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, really getting into the meat of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Your translation may say it slightly differently, but it's going to say something along those lines, right? You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? The salt of the earth. Salt of the earth. Hmm. I thought about that phrase when I started preparing for this message. And I've read this passage before. I've, I've done a paper on the Sermon, of the Mount, Sermon on the Mount before. And, and I started thinking about what does this really mean, salt of the earth? How do we use this phrase today? We use the phrase salt of the earth today to talk about somebody who's, who's just kind of, man, they've kind of got their stuff together. They, they, they're, they, man, they're just good people and and. They're solid, and, and they're reliable, and, and they're not, like, you know, pretentious, and, and, and they're just, you know, kind of approachable and, and good, simple. Salt of the earth, right? Salt of the earth. You would think it was a favorable description if somebody described you as salt of the earth, right? Would you like that if somebody said, you know, yeah, they're salt of the earth people. That's right, I am salt of the earth. That's right. Salt of the earth. What did Jesus mean when he said salt of the earth? I don't think they had the cultural connotation that we do today. He had to have some other connotation, some other meaning that he was going for. So start thinking about what is salt? What's salt? We see it every day. Most of us use it every day. Some of us use way too much of it. Your doctor's telling you to stop using so much salt, right? We use salt all the time. We see it all the time. But what is salt? I remember my, my high school chemistry class. Salt is is. It's, an, it's two elements joined together. It's a chemical compound. It's sodium and chlorine, two poisonous elements. But when they're joined together, they do these amazing things. They add flavor or enhance flavor in foods, right? Salt does you know, NaCl, sodium chloride, salt. It, it enhances the flavor of your food. That's why we use so much of it. I started to feed you all some popcorn this morning, all covered in salt. And I thought some of your doctors might get mad at me, so I didn't do it. You blame your doctor that you didn't get popcorn now, okay? Salt makes stuff taste better. You ever had popcorn without salt? You might as well just be eating the styrofoam packing peanuts out of that last UPS package, right? Because that's about the same thing. But you had a little salt, man, and boom, it brings it to life. And speaking of life, salt doesn't just enhance flavor, it preserves. Salt preserves. It adds shelf life to our foods. They, they used to salt cure meat. Not smoke it, not cook it, not nothing, just salt the fool out of it. And it would keep for months. And you could rinse it off. Well, salt does these cool things. It enhances flavor. And it preserves our food. Jesus says that we're to be salt. Living salt. 
We're supposed to add flavor to an otherwise tasteless world. Look around our world. You don't have to look very far to find lots of tasteless stuff, do you? Just watch the news, read the newspaper, turn on your computer and open up, um, you know, the, the homepage to your browser. It probably goes to some little news feed or whatever. And just read that and you pretty much get the idea. There's a lot of, there's a lot of tasteless stuff in our world. You know, that's consistent, Jesus' statement about salt and, and adding flavor. It's consistent with some stuff that he taught later in his ministry. Jesus taught that we're supposed to share his love with other people. We're supposed to share the good news, the life-changing, life-saving message of the gospel of Jesus with other people. That enhances life. Jesus said, I came so that you can have life and have it to the full, so that we can live a blessed, full, rich life. If we share that good news message with other people, we are enhancing their lives. We're adding flavor to something that was probably pretty tasteless before. Maybe he was teaching us about preserving life, thinking about salt's preservative qualities. Maybe he said, you're salt of the earth so that we could preserve. You know, that's the other side of that coin. When we share that love of Jesus, when we share the life-changing, life-saving, eternity-altering message of Jesus, we're preserving life. Because every one of us is created as an eternal being. You have a soul. In fact, you are a soul that has a body. We get that wrong all the time. We think we're a body that has a soul. No, 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 no. You're a soul that God wrapped in a body. Your body's temporary. Your soul, your spirit, it's, it's, it's eternal. Jesus wants you to live eternally in relationship with him. God wants you eternally connected with him. Sin separates us from God. It breaks that eternal life cycle that God has for us, and, and it dooms us to a separate eternity from him, a life separated forever from the grace, the mercy, and the love of God. But when somebody enters into a relationship with Jesus, their life is preserved. Their eternal life is preserved. They go to heaven when their body dies. Their souls dwell eternally with God. We preserve life when we are living salt. We enhance life when we live salty lives. That message is very consistent with what Jesus taught again later in his ministry. Check out John 6.35. A couple of verses from John. John 6.35, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Life. I'm the bread of life. John 3.36, he says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Eternal life. Living forever with him. And in John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. Jesus was all about preserving life, enhancing life. His life, his ministry, that was really what he was up to. Everything that he did was all about preserving and enhancing the lives of the people who heard him and who followed him. So it makes sense that Jesus would tell his followers early in his ministry, early in his mission, your salt you're salt. You're the salt of the earth. I was eating lunch the other day when I was preparing. I, was, I had to go to a funeral out of town, and so I, I took all my stuff with me, and I was sitting um, in a taco shop. Y'all like Fuzzy's Tacos? I'm just saying, Fuzzy's is pretty good. and that's, They're not paying me for that endorsement. I'm just telling you, Fuzzy's is good. All right. So 
I'm sitting in a Fuzzies taco shop in Stephenville, Texas, right? I, I was thrilled they had a Fuzzies when I rolled into Stephenville. If y'all been to Stephenville, you know what I'm talking about. Not trying to insult any Tarleton State people. I'm just saying small town. Roll into Fuzzies. They got free Wi-Fi. I plug in. I'm working on my message. I'm eating my tacos, and it hits me. I got to change the message, and it's Wednesday. I hate it when I do this. Thank you, Lord. Oh. Salt does more than add flavor. Salt does more than preserve life. Salt creates something. You know what it is? If you'd eaten popcorn this morning covered in salt, you'd know by now. Thirst. Salt creates thirst. I reached for my iced tea, and before I ever got it to my mouth, that's what the Lord said to me. Salt creates thirst, and instantly the question popped into my head, who am I making thirsty for Jesus? Oh, no. Conviction. Who am I making thirsty for Jesus? I was like, man, I don't know. I don't know. And I confess to you as the pastor of this church, if I'm not making people thirsty for Jesus and I'm supposed to be your leader, where am I leading you? Who are you making thirsty for Jesus? If the answer is nobody or I don't know, you're, you're following your leader very well. We're going to shift that today. We're going to change some stuff. We're going to learn what it means to be salt in a very practical, very real way. And we're going to leave here today and go out into that world. And we're going to live salty lives. And people are going to thirst after Jesus because of what he's doing in our lives in spite of us. Because we're just not that cool. I mean, you might. I'm not. Maybe y'all are. I don't, I, want to, I don't want to speak for your cool factor. Mine's pretty low without Christ. But Christ is pretty cool. And he can make people thirsty if I will let him live in me and live through me. Ties it all together, doesn't it? The whole salt statement. The whole idea of, of making people thirsty. Thirsting after Jesus. We just talked about in the Beatitudes a couple of weeks ago. Jesus, in the flow of this message, had just spoken a few moments before. And he said, blessed are those who hunger and who thirst for righteousness. And righteousness is only found in Christ. Blessed are those who thirst for Jesus. So here it is. In this simple, what, two sentences in verse 13? Jesus tells you, the church, me, the church, us, his followers, his disciples, that our role in this life is to be salt. We're to go into the world and add flavor to tasteless things. We're to preserve the walking dead and to give them real, eternal life. And we're to make people thirsty for Jesus. Add flavor. Preserve life. Create thirst. I think I can do those things. I think I can let Jesus live in me. I can let Jesus live through me and do that. But then Jesus said something kind of challenging. Right after that first sentence, he said, If salt loses its saltiness, 
what is it good for? If salt loses its saltiness, what is it good for? Why does he keep doing this to me? I think I have it figured out, and he gives me another question. So I started thinking about, again, my chemistry background, limited as it is, high school chemistry, little college chemistry. How does salt lose its saltiness? I couldn't come up with it. And if salt gets wet, you can boil the water, and the salt is still there. Boil the water off, it evaporates, boom, still got salt. Still salty salt. It's like, how does salt lose its saltiness, God? I Googled it. I called some friends of mine that are like scientific, you know, geniuses and stuff. I finally read a commentary, a Bible commentary, that helped me understand what Jesus was talking about. See, the ancients had a different relationship with salt than we do. Our salt is purified and refined. It's nice and white, uniform-sized crystals, and it shakes freely and flows nicely because they add some stuff to it. The ancients got their salt out of these mineral deposits where the sea had evaporated or whatever. Sometimes they would evaporate seawater and get the sea salt, but a lot of times it was rock salt, what we would call rock salt. And it has all kinds of other minerals mixed in with it. Not very pure. And that salt can lose its saltiness. Here's how. So you've got a big old hunk of rock salt. Say it rains. You got a leak in your roof because you didn't have a very good carpenter. Probably Jesus didn't build your house. And, and, it, and it leaks on your salt. And the salt dissolves very easily in the water. And it like is flushed away, rinsed away as the water runs off. The rest of the minerals are left. The rocks, are, it, it doesn't look any differently than it did before the water got it. And so you go back to your kitchen the next day in your ancient little house and you get ready to salt your food and it doesn't taste right. What's wrong with my popcorn? It tastes like packing peanuts. Salt lost its saltiness. All it is now is just a bunch of other minerals. The salt is gone. You can't explain it. You didn't understand it. You didn't know what happened. All you know is your salt is no longer salty. What's it good for? Nothing. Throw it out. What's Jesus saying to us about losing our salt? Is he saying we can lose our salvation? Can we lose our eternal life? Can we lose the preservative of Christ in us? If you're a Christian, you can't lose your salvation. Once you're saved, you're saved. That's very simple. You are good with God. You are good with God from then on. Right? But you can lose your saltiness by blocking the, the Jesus living through you, Jesus living in you. You can continue to live for yourself. You can reject what the Holy Spirit says to you in your heart of hearts. Now, some would argue that you aren't a Christian in the first place if that's the case, and I'm not going to get into that big spiritual debate today. But what I would say is this. I think in my life I had lost some of my saltiness because I'm not causing anybody to be thirsty for God. I think, I think what Jesus is saying here applied directly to me. It might apply directly to you. I think I had allowed the influences of the world, let's call it the rain, but it could be any number of other things that rain down on us, right? It could be all kinds of things that go on in our world that distract us from Christ, that turn us back inwards on ourselves, that make us believe that we have the answers, that we can live life on our own, that we have better ideas and plans than God does. And that kind of stuff just washes all of that Jesus saltiness right out of your life. And you look around and, and people think you're a swell guy. They might even call you salt of the earth or a really nice lady. 
but are you causing them to be thirsty for what you have? Here's what it looks like to create thirst. Here's how we then live like salt. We let Jesus have control of our lives so that when all of that rain falls on our lives, when all of those worldly influences come and impact us, and we are dealing with trials or turmoil, when we're dealing with difficulties and challenges, we remember that this life is our temporary one. This life isn't what it's all about anyway. It's not about storing up treasures on earth. It's not about living in the right house, driving the right car, going to the right college, dressing in the right clothes. It's not even about how your kids behave and do or don't embarrass you. If you've got kids, you know they will do that. Right? It, it, that stuff's like window dressing. What's important is that you have security in Jesus. Your life is preserved. Your life is enhanced. And you live that enhanced life by letting Jesus live in your heart and living through you, giving you joy in those challenges, in those trials, in those difficult times. It's hard to find joy in those times unless you're tied securely to Jesus, unless you're turning directly to Him, unless you're praying regularly, listening often. Unless you're in the Bible, in the Word, unless you're around other believers who encourage you in that way. It's hard to find joy in those trials and tribulations, those difficult times, those challenges. But that's what Jesus is saying. If we live with joy when the world thinks that we should be just beat down and, and just dejected and upset and hurt and even angry at God or others, oh, now that makes a difference. People take notice of that kind of a life, don't they? As I was describing all of that, did you think of somebody that you know that lives that kind of a life? Do you know somebody who lives that, man, that joy forward, joy first, Jesus in front life, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how ugly it is, no matter what health challenges or financial difficulties they're in, they always seem to be maybe not happy but joyful. They're content. they got peace in their life. And you're like, how do you do that? My cat got diarrhea and I was mad. I mean, how, do you, how are you joyful when you lose your job? How are you joyful when your house is foreclosed on? How are, you, how are you joyful when you have health challenges? Man, those people are joyful because of Jesus. They're living for Christ, and they're letting Christ live in and through them. It makes a difference. You take notice. Other people take notice. We get thirsty for what those people have. We get hungry for what they've got. We want it, don't we? You ever had somebody walk up and ask you, what is it about you that's different? If you haven't, you might not be making people thirsty. You know what else makes people thirsty? It's not just how we deal with adversity. It's how we deal with success. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I think oftentimes successful Christians are a bigger turnoff to the rest of the world than the ones that are struggling and suffering. I think success can do a, a person a lot of harm if they're not tied to Christ. Because oftentimes when we succeed, we think, that's right, I did it. Self-made man right here. Pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I am bad to the bone. 
I understand business. I understand money. I understand people. I can invest. I can buy businesses and sell businesses. I can start things from scratch. I can do, man, I am the man. I've got a great family. My wife is amazing. My children are perfect angels who do no wrong. Just ask me. Y'all, y'all know some of those. I hear some laughing over here. Somebody knows some of those parents. Some of y'all are teachers. You know a lot of those parents, man. It doesn't matter what little Johnny did. You ain't, it, mama ain't believing it. Daddy is not going to buy what you tell him. Anyway, another story. How do you deal with success? That makes people thirsty too. Humility and success, I think, is more difficult than joy during trials. Check yourself. When you have success, how do you respond to it? Do you give God the glory? Are you praising God for what he did in spite of you? Or are you telling God and everybody else who will listen what a cool dude or cool gal you are? What a great leader, great business person, wonderful Christian, super parent. Check out the tattoo on my chest. It says, S, I'm super, right? What is it? How do you respond to your success? Joy comes from Jesus. Joy in those trials, those challenges comes from humility and success also comes from Jesus. It's understanding that it's not you. It's not you. It's him. And God blesses people differently. Some people are blessed with trials because that's what they need. Some people are blessed with success because that's how God knows they need to be blessed. How do you deal with either one? How do you deal with that? That's what makes people thirsty. A humble, successful person is so stinking attractive in this world because it is a rare, rare thing to see. Rare. Deal with your success humbly. Understand that it is Christ in you who made it happen and who's making it happen. And when it stops happening, let Christ be your comfort and your joy in the trials that follow. We've got to be different. Bottom line, we've got to be different. We've got to be different from the rest of the world. If we're not different from the rest of the world, Christians, followers of Jesus, his disciples, the church, if we aren't different, nobody even notices that we're Christians. It doesn't matter how loudly we proclaim Christ or how boldly we preach his name. If they look at your life and mine and they see somebody who is no different than them, why would they want what you've got? They already know how to be bummed out when challenges and difficulties and trials hit. They know how to be angry at other people. And they probably know or would like to know how to be a horse's rear when they're successful. We've got to be different. If we're going to make people thirsty, they've got to see something different in you and me. They need to see Jesus at work. All the time, 24-7, 365, to the best of your ability, submit to him and let him live in you, through you, and frankly, for you. Jesus continued after he talked about salt. He continued to preach this message. 
this Sermon on the Mount. If you would join me with verse 14, let's see what else Jesus had to say after he talked about being salty for him. Verse 14, he said, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they place it on a stand, and it gives light to all of the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says you're salt, and now he says you're light. You're salt and you're light. You're salt and you're light. You add flavor you preserve, you make people thirst for him, and then you bring light into the darkness of this world. There is no such thing as darkness. There is only absence of light. Our world has an incredible absence of light in a lot of places, in a lot of ways. We're called to be light, to go into those dark places and bring brightness, to brighten the lives of dark people. Some of you know who I'm talking about. When I said dark people, you had an image pop into your head of somebody who's a dark, mean, ugly, nasty, doesn't know anything about Jesus kind of person. Brighten their day. Brighten that person's day. We're supposed to be salt and light, not just for people we know, but for people we don't know. The Bible says, Jesus says, let your, your light shine before men. Let your light shine before men. It says, uh, so that they can see your good works and know that it's God in you who's doing it. Let the light of God, that, that brilliance of Jesus, be visible before people. Y'all know the, the old, who, who grew up in church? I didn't, so some of y'all did, right? This little light of mine. Come on. Y'all don't want me singing. Somebody, This little light of mine. That's right. We're going to let it shine, right? We're going to let it shine. Not hide it under a bushel, right? Isn't that one? Of the, yeah? Not hide it. Yeah, we're not, we're not going we're gonna, to we're gonna put the light up on, up on a stand so it can bring light into the whole house, so it can bring light to the whole community, so it can bring light into your office, so it can bring light into your home where your children and your spouse are. Because some of them may have darkness that they're dealing with. They may be far from God. If you're not leading your children in light, how do you expect them to ever come into the light? We've got we to be different. We've got we to go share the light of Jesus, the love of Jesus. We've got to live salty, bright lives, penetrate dark, tasteless places. Let your light shine before men, so that they can see that it is God in you. Don't hide it. Jesus said, don't hide me. He already knew the time was going to come when he would not be physically present on the earth anymore. He knew that his church, his followers, his disciples, you and me, would have to carry that, that message without him physically there to point to and say, he's the light. He's the life. We've got to represent that. We've got to carry that. We can't hide 
Christ from others. I talked last week about conflict and sharing your faith and, and being on purpose for God and not apologizing for being a Christian, not hiding the fact that you're a Christian, not backing down from those conflicts, but engaging people, not in a debate, not in an argument, but in a conversation. And simply sharing your faith doesn't mean you have to win an argument. It doesn't mean you need to beat somebody else over the head. It just means share what Jesus has done in your life and is doing in your life. And if he's not doing something in your life, maybe you need to add Jesus to your life. Be salt, be light. Don't hide Christ. Don't hide your faith. Be strong. Be different. Be bright and salty and make people thirst for him. If you're not a Christian today, or if you're not sure if you're a Christian, you may think this message wasn't even intended for you, that Jesus wasn't speaking uh, to you. I promise you he is. On what level and exactly what he's, I, you know what, I think the Holy Spirit will discern that and speak that into your heart. Maybe you think, as I speak up here, and I'm talking about all this stuff uh, about Christians and the church and followers and all that, 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 I don't know, maybe I'm being judgmental of you or that I think I'm better or that, you know, we've got it all figured out. Nah, none of that's true. I'm no better. I don't have it all figured out. I think every Christian in the room would admit in fact, probably I think we could get every hand in the room to go up on this one. We all sin. I screw it up every day, man. I mess up sometimes really bad. I don't live perfectly for Christ. I just confessed to you a little while ago, I don't think I've been doing anything to make people thirsty. I think I've been going about my life just kind of mundane. I've let the stuff of the world kind of rinse my saltiness away. I've had to recommit myself to be salty. We don't have it all figured out. Christians are not sinless. We're not perfect. You say that we're hypocrites sometimes. You know, people that, are, that, that aren't in the church or aren't a part of the family. Of God, they say, oh, those Christians are just hypocrites. Yeah, we are. We are. We're hypocrites just like everybody else. We say we're one thing and we do something else and that's just sin. But the difference is when we live in our hypocrisy, we have conviction through the Spirit to change and to be better, to be salt and to be light to let Jesus live in and through us. We're forgiven for our sins, bottom line. We're forgiven. The separation in eternal life, separating us from God, that problem has been solved. That price has been paid by Jesus. Our faith in Him is all that separates Christians from anybody else. And because we have that, relationship with Christ. We have access. He plants the Spirit in us. We can listen to Him, and we can have that flavor injected into our lives, added to everything that we do. We can have, we do have, the preservation of our lives. We have joy in those trials and humility in success as we follow God. The challenge of living without Christ is trying to find that in yourself because it does not exist 
You cannot save yourself from a separated eternity. Only Christ can. Only Christ has. Jesus already did the work. You don't have to lift a finger. You just have to have faith. We invite you, the Christians in the room, the followers of Jesus, invite you into a relationship with Jesus, not so that we can chalk up some spiritual, you know, tally that, hey man, I got another score on my board. It's because we want you to experience what we already are experiencing, the life change that comes with Christ in you. The life change from having your, your trials and tough circumstances minimized to the point that you can have joy. Not minimized like they don't happen, just minimized in importance. The Apostle Paul said he had learned the secret to being content, to being joyful in whatever circumstance. Paul was snake-bitten, stranded on a desert island, arrested, beaten, abused in all these different ways. Paul was joyful through it all. For me to live is Christ, man. And if they kill me, that's cool. Because to die is gain. I want that life. And it's only available through a relationship with Christ. Christians invite you into this relationship for two reasons. Number one, because you might die tonight. Right? You might die tonight. None of us is guaranteed our next breath. We're certainly not guaranteed tomorrow. And if you die tonight, we would like to see your life preserved because we know that's what God wants. He said he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everybody to repent from their sin and turn to him and find eternal life in a relationship with him. You might die tonight. You need Jesus to preserve your life. The other reason, the second reason, that we invite you into this relationship with Christ is because you might live tomorrow. And we want you to live the way Jesus said he came for you to live. Full, rich, blessed lives. A life where you can be filled with joy. A life where you can be humble. A life where you have flavor. <laughs> we want you to live with Christ. Because he's the only one who can do those things. So we invite you into that relationship. And I'm going to pray to wrap up our message today. And as I pray, I'm going to give anybody who's here today that wants to pray a prayer of salvation to enter into that relationship with Christ, an opportunity to do so. I would ask that if you do that, first of all, I want everybody to have their heads bowed and eyes closed in just a moment. If you pray that and want to take advantage of that opportunity to enter into that relationship, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. And that way I'll know not so that I can bring you up and, you know, make a big scene or anything like that. Just so I can, again, follow up with you and give you next steps for what it means now to walk with Christ, to let him live in and through you. So let's pray. My Lord and my God, the first thing I want to pray this morning is that you would make every single one of us who is in your family, every Christian in the house, salty, sick salty. Like, I need to drink a lot of Jesus because I'm so, so salty from being around that person, that Christian that loves you so much. Father, help each of us to be humble in success, 
to be joyful in trials, to not go the way of the world, but to really and truly live for you. And even more importantly, to let you live for us. Father, for those that are maybe kicking the tires on Christianity, who are checking out the claims of Jesus this morning, I pray that they have heard your truth, heard your promises about living a full life and how to do it. And Father, if there's anyone this morning that's here, that's ready to enter into that relationship and to live that flavor-filled, joy-filled, humble and success kind of life, the life that is not just now and on this earth, but a life that is eternal eternally blessed with your presence. God, I pray that they would just pray like this this morning. God, I know that I I messed up. I'm a sinner. My way doesn't work. I've tried it, and it got me where I am. I want to live your way, God. I want to let your son, Jesus, live in me. Give me flavor and preservation and light that I can live this life joyfully and successfully and that I can have eternal life with you. If you prayed that this morning, would you just briefly just raise your hand, let me know. That's great. That's great. Fantastic. Father, we thank you for your message. We thank you that your son Jesus walked with us, set us an example, taught us for all eternity, what it means to be salt and to be light, that he's charged us not only with what to do, but given us a path on how to do it, that he empowers us to do and be salt and light, to do and be the things of Christ, to truly model him in our lives. Father, we love you. We give you praise and glory for who you are, for all that you have done and are doing and yet to do. Amen.